The clangor of the swords had died away. The shouting of the slaughter was hushed. Silence lay on the red-stained snow, the pale bleak sun that glittered so blindingly from the ice field, and the snow-covered plains struck sheens of silver from rent corslet and broken blade, where the dead lay in heaps. The nerveless hand had gripped the broken hilt, helmeted heads, back drawn in the death throes, tilted red beards and golden beards grimly upward, as if in last invocation to Ymir the frost giant. Across the red drifts and mail-clad forms, two figures approached one another. In that utter desolation, only they moved. The frosty sky was over them, the white illimitable plain around them. The dead men at their feet, slowly through the corpses they came, as ghosts might come to a tryst through the shambles of a world. Their shields were gone, their corslets dented, blood smeared their mail. Their swords were red, their horned helmets showed the marks of fierce strokes. One spoke, he whose locks and beards were red as blood on the sunlit snow. Man of the raven locks, said he, tell me your name, so that my brothers in Vanheim may know who was the last of Wolfhir's band to fall before the sword of Heimdall. This is my answer, replied the black-haired warrior. Not in Vanheim, but in Valhalla, will you tell your brothers the name Amra of Akbitana? Heimdall roared and sprang. His sword swung in a mighty arc. Amra staggered, and his vision was filled with red sparks as the blade shivered into bits of blue fire on his helmet. But as he reeled, he thrust with all the power of his great shoulders. The sharp point drove through brass scales, bones, and heart. The red-haired warrior died at Amra's feet. Amra stood swaying, trailing his sword, a sudden sick weariness assailing him. The glare of the sun on the snow cut his eyes like a knife, and the sky seemed shrunken and strangely far. He turned away from the trampled expanse, where yellow-bearded warriors lay locked with red-haired slayers in the embrace of death. A few steps he took, and the glare of the snowfields was suddenly dimmed. A rushing wave of blindness engulfed him, and he sank down in the snow, supporting himself on one mailed arm, seeking to shake the blindness out of his eyes, as a lion might shake his mane. A silvery laugh cut through his dizziness, and his sight cleared slowly. There was a strangeness about all the landscape that he could not place or define, an unfamiliar tinge to earth and sky. But he did not think long of this. Before him, swaying like a sapling in the wind, stood a woman. Her body was like ivory, and save for a veil of gossamer, she was naked as the day. Her slender bare feet were whiter than the snow they spurned. She laughed, and her laughter was sweeter than the rippling of silvery fountains, and poisonous with cruel mockery. Who are you? demanded the warrior. What matter? Her voice was more musical than a silver-stringed harp, but it was edged with cruelty. Call up your men, he growled, grasping his sword. Though my strength fail me, yet they shall not take me alive. I see that you are of the Vanir. Have I said so? He looked again at her unruly lock, which he had thought to be red. Now he saw that they were neither red nor yellow, but a glorious compound of both colors. He gazed, spellbound. Her hair was like elfin gold, striking which the sun dazzled him. Her eyes were neither wholly blue nor wholly gray, but of the shifting colors and dancing lights and clouds of colors he could not recognize. Her full red lips smiled, and from her slim feet the blinding crown of her billowy hair her ivory body was as perfect as the dream of a god. Amra's pulse hammered in his temple. I cannot tell, said he, whether you of Vanaheim and mine enemy, or of Asgard and my friend. Far have I wandered from Zingara to the Sea of Iliet, 
in Stygia and Cush and the country of the Hyrcanians, but a woman like you I have never seen. Your locks blind me with their brightness. Not even among the fairest daughters of the Aesir have I seen such hair. By Ymir, who are you to swear by Ymir, she mocked. What know of the gods of ice and snow? You who've come up from the south to adventure among strangers. By the dark gods of my own race, he cried. Have I been backward in the sword place, stranger or no? This day I have seen fourscore warriors fall, and I alone survived the field. Where Mulfier's reavers met the men of Bragi. Tell me, woman, have you caught the flash of mail across the snow plains, or seen armored men moving upon the ice? I have seen the hoarfrost glittering in the sun, she answered. I have heard the wind whispering across the everlasting snow. He shook his head. Niord should have come up with us before the battle joined. I fear he and his warriors have been ambushed. Wolfier lies dead with all his weapon men. I had thought there was no village within many leagues of this spot, for the war carried us far. But you can have come no great distance over these snows, naked as you are. Lead me to your tribe, if you are of Asgard, for I am faint with the weariness of strife. My dwelling place is further than you can walk, Amra of Akpatana. She laughed, spreading wide her arms. She swayed before him, her golden head lolling wantonly, her scintillating eyes shadowed beneath the long silken lashes. Am I not beautiful, man? Like dawn running naked on the snows, he muttered, his eyes burning like those of a wolf. Then why do you not rise and follow me? Who is the strong warrior who falls down before me? She chanted in maddening mockery. Lie down and die in the snow with the other fools, Amra of the black hair. You cannot follow where I would lead. With an oath, the man heaved himself upon his feet, his blue eyes blazing, his dark scarred face convulsed. Rage shook his soul, but desire for the taunting figure before him hammered at his temples and drove his wild blood riotlessly through his veins. Passion, fierce as physical agony, flooded his whole being so that earth and sky swam red to his dizzy gaze, and weariness and faintness were swept from him in madness. He spoke no word as he drove at her fingers, hooked like talons. With a shriek of laughter, she leaped back and ran, laughing at him over her white shoulder. With a low growl, Amra followed. He had forgotten the fight forgotten the mailed warriors who lay in their blood, forgotten Niord's belated reaver. He had thought only for the slender white shape which seemed to float, rather than run before him. Out across the white blinding plain she led him. The trampled red field fell out of sight behind him. But still, Emra kept on with the silent tenacity of his race. His mailed feet broke through the frozen crust. He sank deep in the drifts and forged through them by sheer strength. But the girl danced across the snow, as light as a feather floating across a pool. Her naked feet scarcely left their imprint on the hoarfrost in spite of the fire in its veins. The cold bit through the warrior's mail and furs, but the girl in her gossamer veil ran as lightly and as gaily as she danced through the palms and rose gardens of Pontaine. Black curses drooled through the warrior's parched lips. The great veins swelled and throbbed in his temples. Teeth gnashed spasmodically. You cannot escape me, he roared. Lead me into a trap and I'll pile the heads of your kinsmen at your feet. Hide from me and I'll tear apart the mountains to find you. I'll follow you to hell and beyond hell. 
Her maddening laughter floated back to him, and foam flew from the warrior's lips further and further into the waist she led him, till he saw wide plains give way to low hills, marching upward in broken ranges. Far to the north he caught a glimpse of towering mountains, blue with the distance, or white with the eternal snows. Above these mountains shone the flaring rays of the Borealis. They spread, fan-wise into the sky, frosty blades of cold, flaming light, changing in color growing and brightening. Above him the skies glowed and crackled with strange lights and gleams. The snow shone weirdly, now frosty blue, now icy crimson, now cold silver, through a shimmering icy realm of enchantment. Amra plunged doggedly onward in a crystalline maze, where the only reality was the white body dancing across the glittering snow ever beyond his reach. Yet he did not wonder at the necromantic strangeness of it all. Now even when two gigantic figures rose up to bar his way, the scales of their mail were white with hoarfrost. Their helmets and their axes were sheathed in ice. Snow sprinkled their locks and their beards, or spikes of icicles. Their eyes were cold to the light that streamed above them. Brothers, cried the girl, dancing between them. Look who follows. I've brought you a man for the feast. Take his heart, that we may lay it smoking on our father's board. The giants answered with roars like the grinding of icebergs on a frozen shore, and heaved up their shining axes. The maddening Akbitanan hurled himself upon them. A frosty blade flashed before his eyes, blinding him with his brightness, and he gave back a terrible stroke that sheared through his foe's thigh. With a groan, the victim fell and at the instant Amor was dashed into the snow, his left shoulder numb from the blow of the survivor, from which the warrior's male had barely saved his life. Amra saw the remaining giant looming above him like a colossus carved of ice etched against the glowing sky. The axe fell to sink through the snow and deep into the frost earth as Amra hurled himself aside and leapt to his feet. The giant roared and wrenched the axe head free. Even as he did so, Amra's sword sang down. The giant's knees bent and he sank slowly into the snow, which turned crimson with the blood that gushed from his half-severed neck. Amra wheeled to see the girl standing a short distance away, staring in wide-eyed horror. All mockery gone from her face, he cried out fiercely, and the blood drops flew from his sword. As his hand shook in the intensity of his passion, Call the rest of your brothers, he roared. Call the dogs. I'll give their hearts to the wolves. With a cry of fright, she turned and fled. She did not laugh now, nor mock him over her shoulder. She ran as for her life, and though he strained every nerve and thew, until his temples were like to burst in the snow, swam red to his gaze. She drew away from him, dwindling in the witch fires of the skies, until she was a figure no bigger than a child, then dancing white flame on the snow, then a dim blur in the distance, but grinding his teeth until the blood started from his gums. He reeled on, and he saw the blur grow to a dancing white flame, and then she was running less than a hundred paces ahead of him, and slowly the space narrowed foot by foot. She was running with effort now, her golden locks blowing free. He heard the quick panting of her breath, saw a flash of fear, in the look she cast over her alabaster shoulder, grim endurance of the warrior had served him well. Speed ebbed from her flashing white legs. She reeled in her gait, and in his untamed soul flamed up the fires of hell. She had fanned so well with an inhuman roar. He closed in on her, just as she wheeled with a haunting cry, and flung out her arms to fend him off. His sword fell on the snow as he crushed her to him. 
Her supple body bent backward as she fought with desperate frenzy in his iron arms. Her golden hair blew about her face, blinding him with its sheen. The feel of her slender figure twisted in his mailed arms, drove him to blind her madness. Strong fingers sank deep in her smooth flesh, and that flesh was cold as ice, as if he embraced not a woman of human flesh and blood, but a woman of flaming ice. She writhed her golden head aside, striving to avoid the savage kisses that bruised her red lips. You are cold as the snow, he mumbled dazedly. I will warm you with the fire in my blood. With a desperate wrench, she twisted from his arms, leaving her single gossamer garment in his grasp. She sprang back and faced him, her golden locks in the wild disarray, her white bosom heaving, her beautiful eyes blazing with terror. For an instant he stood frozen, awed by her terrible beauty as she posed naked against the snows, and in that instant she flung her arms towards the lights that glowed in the skies above her, and cried out in a voice that rang in Amra's ears forever after. Ymir, O oh my father, save me. Amra was leaping forward, arms spread to seize her, when with a crack like the breaking of an ice mountain, the whole skies leaped into icy fire. The girl's ivory body was suddenly enveloped in a cold blue flame, so blinding that the warrior threw up his hands to shield his eyes. A fleeting instant, skies and snowy hills were bathed in crackling white, flames, blue darts of icy light, frozen crimson fires. Then Amra staggered, and cried out. The girl was gone. The glowing snow lay empty and bare. High above him, the witch lights flashed and played in a frosty sky gone mad. Among the distant blue mountains, there sounded a rolling thunder, as of a gigantic war chariot rushing behind steeds whose frantic hooves struck lightning from the snows and echoes from the skies. And suddenly the borealis, the snowy hills, and the blazing heavens reeled drunkenly to amorous sight. Thousands of fireballs burst with showers of sparks, and the sky itself became a titanic wheel, which rained stars as it spun under his feet. The snowy hills heaved up like a wave, and Actanon crumpled into the snows to lie motionless in a cold, dark universe whose sun was extinguished eons ago. Amra felt the movement of life, alien and unguessed. An earthquake had him in its grip and was shaking him to and fro at the same time chafing his hands and feet until he yelled in pain and fury and groped for his sword. He's coming too, Horsa grunted a voice. Haste, he must rub the frost of out of his limbs if he's ever to wield a sword again. He won't open his left hand, growled another, his voice indicating muscular strain. He's clutching something. Amra opened his eyes and stared into the bearded faces that bent over him. He was surrounded by tall, golden-haired warriors in mail and furs. Amra, you live. By Krom, Njord grasped he. Am I alive, or are we all dead and in Valhalla? We live, grunted the Aesir, busy over Amra's half-frozen feet. We had to fight our way through an ambush, else we had come up with you before the battle was joined. The corpses were scarce cold when we came upon the field. We did not find you among the dead, so we followed your spore. In Ymir's name, Amra, why did you wander off into the wastes of the north? We had followed your tracks in the snow for hours. Had a blizzard come up and hidden them, we had never found you by Ymir. Swear not so often by Ymir, muttered a warrior, glancing at the distant mountains. This is his land, and the god bides among yonder mountains, the legends say. I followed a woman, Amra answered hazily. We met Braggy's men in the plains. I know not how long we fought. I alone lived. I was dizzy and faint. 
the land lay like a dream before me only now do all things seem natural and familiar the woman came and taunted me she was beautiful as a frozen flame from hell when i took at her i was as one mad and forgot all else in the world i followed her did you not find her tracks or the giants and the icy male i slew Mjord shook his head we found only your tracks in the snow amra then it may be i was mad said amra dazedly yet you yourself are no more real to me than was the golden-haired witch who fled naked across the snow before me from my very hands she vanished in icy flame he is delirious whispered a warrior not so cried an older man whose eyes were wild and weird it was atali the daughter of ymir the frost giant to fields of the dead she comes and shows herself to the dying myself when a boy i saw her when i lay half slain on the bloody field of wolraven i saw her walking among the dead in the snows her naked body gleaming like ivory and her golden hair was like a blinding flame in the moonlight i lay and howled like a dying dog because i could not crawl after her she lures men from stricken fields into the wasteland to be slain by her brothers the ice giant who lay men's red hearts smoking on ymir's board amra had seen atali the frost giant's daughter bah grunted horsa old grom's mind was turned in his youth by a sword cut on the head amra was delirious with the fury of battle look how his helmet is dented any of those blows might have addled his brain it was an hallucination he followed into the waste he is from the south what does he know of atali you speak truth perhaps muttered amra it was all strange and weird by Krom. He broke off, glaring at the object that still dangled from his clenched left fist. The others grasped silently at the veil he held up, a wisp of gossamer that was never spun by human to staff. Well, that was almost problematic. thought I was going to have to read about a rape. The sun had set. The great shadows came striding over the forest in the weird twilight of a late summer day. I saw the path ahead glide on among the mighty trees and disappear, and I shuddered and glanced fearfully over my shoulder. Miles behind lay the nearest village, miles ahead the next. I looked to left and to right as I strode on, and anon I looked behind me, and anon I stopped short, grasping my rapier as a breaking twig betokened the going of some small beast, or was it a beast? But the path led on and I followed, because forsooth I had naught else to do. As I went, I bethought me, my own thoughts will rout me, if I be not aware. What is there in this forest except perhaps the creatures that roam it, deer and the like? Tush, the foolish legend of those villagers. And so I went, and the twilight faded into dusk. Stars began to blink, and the leaves of the trees murmured in the faint breeze. And then I stopped short, my sword leaping to my hand, for just ahead, Around a curve of the path someone was singing. The words I could not distinguish, but the accent was strange, almost barbaric. I stepped behind a great tree, and the cold sweat beat through my forehead. Then the singer came in sight, a tall, thin man, vague in the twilight. I shrugged my shoulders, a man I did not fear. I sprang out, my point raised. Stand! He showed no surprise. I prithee handle thy blade with care, friend he said. Somewhat ashamed, I lowered my sword. I am new to this forest, I quoth apologetically. I heard talk of bandits. I crave pardon. Where, where lies the road to Villafir? Corbleu, you've missed it, he answered. You should have branched off to the right some distance back. I am going there myself. If you may abide my company, I will direct you. 
I hesitated. Yet why should I hesitate? Why, certainly. My name is de Montour of Normandy, and I am Carolus Le Loup. No, I started back. He looked at me in astonishment. Pardon, said I. The name is strange. Does not loop mean wolf? My family were always great hunters, he answered. He did not offer his hand. You will pardon my staring, said I, as we walked down the path, but I can hardly see your face in the dusk. I sensed that he was laughing, though he made no sound. It is little to look upon, he answered. I stepped closer, then leaped away, my hair bristling. A mask, I exclaimed. Why do you wear a mask, monsieur? It is a vow, he exclaimed. I'm fleeing a pack of hounds. I vowed that if I escaped, I would wear a mask for a certain time. Hounds, monsieur? Wolves, he answered quickly. I said wolves. We walked in silence for a while, and then my companion said, I'm surprised that you walk these woods by night. Few people come these ways, even in the day. I am in haste to reach the border, I answered. A treaty has been signed with the French, and the Duke of Burgundy should know of it. The people at the village sought to dissuade me. They spoke of a wolf that was purported to roam these woods. Here the path branches to Villaferre, said he, and I saw a narrow, crooked path that I had not seen when I passed it before. It led in amidst the darkness of the trees. I shuddered. You wish to return to the village? No, I exclaimed. No, no. Lead on. So narrow was the path that we walked, single file, he leading. I looked well at him. He was taller, much taller than I, and thin wiry he was dressed in a costume that smacked of spain a long rapier swung at his hip he walked with long easy strides noiselessly then he began to talk of travel and adventure he spoke of many lands and seas he had seen and many strange things so we talked and went farther and farther into the forest i presumed that he was french yet he had a very strange accent that was neither french nor spanish nor english not like any language i had ever heard some words he slurred strangely and some he could not pronounce at all this path is often used is it i asked not by many he answered and laughed silently I shuddered. It was very dark, and the leaves whispered together among the branches. A fiend haunts this forest, I said. So the peasants say, he answered. But I have roamed it oft, and have never seen his face. Then he began to speak of strange creatures of darkness, and the moon rose, and shadows glided among the trees. He looked up at the moon. Haste, said he. We must reach our destination before the moon reaches her zenith. We hurried along the trail. They say, said I that a werewolf haunts these woodlands it might be said he and we argued much upon the subject the old women say said he that if a werewolf is slain while a wolf then he is slain but if he is slain as a man then his half soul will haunt his slayer forever but haste thee the moon nears her zenith we came into a small moonlit glade and the stranger stopped let us pause a while said he nay let us be gone i urged i like not this place he laughed without sound why said he this is a fair glade as good as a banquet hall it is and many times have i feasted here ha 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 look ye i will show you a dance and he began bounding here and there anon flinging back his head and laughing silently thought i this man is mad as he danced his weird dance i looked about me the trail went not on but stopped in the glade come said i we must on do you not smell the rank hairy scent that hovers about the glade wolves den here perhaps they are about us and are gliding upon us even now 
He dropped upon all fours, found it higher than my head, and came toward me with a strange slinking motion. That dance is called the dance of the wolf, said he, and my hair bristled. Keep off. I stepped back, and with a screeching that set the echoes shuddering, he leaped for me, and through a sword hung at his belt, he did not draw it. My rapier was half out when he grasped my arm, and flung me headlong. I dragged him with me, and we struck the ground together. Wrenching a hand free, I jerked off the mask. A shriek of horror broke my lips. Beast's eyes glittered beneath that mask. White fangs flashed in the moonlight. The face was that of a wolf. In an instant, those fangs were at my throat. Taloned hands tore the sword from my grasp. I beat at that horrible face with my clenched fist, but his jaws were fashioned on my shoulder and his talons tore at my throat. Then I was on my back. The world fading. Blindly I struck out. My hand dropped and closed automatically about the hilt of my dagger, which I had been unable to get at. I drew and stabbed. A terrible, half-bestial bellowing screech. Then I reeled to my feet, free. At my feet lay the wolf. I stopped, raised the dagger, then paused, looked up. The moon hovered close to her zenith. If I slew the thing as a man, its frightful spirit would haunt me forever. I sat down waiting. The thing watched me with flaming wolf eyes. The long, wiry limbs seemed to shrink, to crook. Hair seemed to grow upon them. Fearing madness, I snatched up the thing's own sword and hacked it to pieces. Then I flung the sword away and fled.